on radio, streaming live on investtalk.com, and for our podcast subscribers. This is Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. And now, KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, October 12th. 2020 edition of Invest Talk, and we are moving quickly through the fourth quarter and coming up just a little over three weeks away from the election. And it's been a wild ride this year, and even the last call month and a half, right? Big sell off in the month of September, a rally starting late September, and volatility looks to be here to stay. And a lot of people think volatility as just downside, but volatility can be upside as well. So the gyrations of the markets also reflect the political gyrations, unfortunately. Whether you like it or not, that's just the way it is. right? Because as we know, more and more government policymakers, central planners are becoming more involved. And once again, whether you like it or not, you just have to understand that that's the world we're living in. That's the cycle that we're part of. So you need to be prepared for that world. Once again, not the world you hope will be, but the world that is. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and on to, in today's program and podcast, I will do my best to provide you with unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. I know you want to develop strategies to help you deal with the volatility in the market, find the opportunities, and hopefully avoid the pitfalls. There are always pitfalls out there, and unless you're looking for them, it's going to be hard to avoid them. Same with the opportunities. So we're going to do our best to shed some light on both sides, right? Because that's what investing is about, is looking at both sides of the coin, positive and negative. And I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Quick look at the market today. Solid up day, almost a 2% day on the S&P, 3% on the NASDAQ. Really, I think this is all about a the market viewing an increased likelihood of a blue sweep. Because clearly the stimulus package still is dragging on. And from my point of view, it doesn't look like it's going to get passed. It's what I named my video on Friday on YouTube, which was... What was the name of it? I think it was Politicians Say No and uh, the Market Says Yes. I forget exactly the name. Something like that. But basically, right? politicians are dragging their feet. But maybe the market's also looking forward to a blue sweep and saying this $2.2 trillion stimulus package that the Democrats have on the table right now 
if there is a blue steep sweep might go to 3.2 trillion or 4.2 trillion. Remember the market loves the stimulus. And so I think that's really what the market's pricing in at this point, or maybe they're just more optimistic about the current package than uh, what I believe reality is. But once again, I could be wrong. Maybe the market's right. That's my take, but I want to hear what is on your mind. So let's get to our first caller right now that came in after hours. Hi, I'm interested in a company called Lamb Research. I want to know if you think it would be a good long-term investment, what a good buy point would be. I'll wait to see your prognosis on the podcast. Thanks. Bye. All right, looking at LAM Research. This is one of the largest semiconductor equipment companies out there. And if you look at the business long term, it's a pretty profitable business. Return on equity tends to range in the 20s on average over the last decade. Right now it's at about 45. So the, you remember, this, this sector is very cyclical. Very, very cyclical. There's meaning when times are good, when the economy is good, when demand for products in general are, are strong, their business is good. They have very good pricing power. And vice versa, when there's oversupply, when the economy is depressed, like in 2012, the return equity was only 4.3%. 2013 was only 2.2%. That was a tough time in the semiconductor industry. And that's my biggest worry about this, is that you're investing in it kind of near the top of uh, the economic cycle or the high point of the of the economic cycle and the semiconductor cycle. Now, long-term, I like their business. I like their uh, economic mode. I like their advantage uh, in the industry. I think they're one of the better companies in the semiconductor space. So I like Lamb Research. Now, from a valuation standpoint, you know our value is closer to three hundred dollars a share right now. It's at three seventy, so I would say it's about fifteen to twenty percent overvalued. And so, if I can get it back, kind of where it was early September, I think that's a that's a fair value around those levels, uh, and even below that would be would be great. So. Uh, I like what you're looking at. Certainly should be on everyone's watch list as a potential buy at the right price. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Summer is now in the rear view mirror, and we are into the fourth quarter. But the search for opportunities never ends if you are a diligent investor. There's a lot of news out there, a lot of headlines, and thus volatility. And you need to make sure that you can handle the volatility that's out there and managing the risks by creating a balanced portfolio for your goals. This job requires information and effective strategies to deal with this volatility and know how to handle that property, how to analyze that data. So let's talk about what is ever on your mind. Your participation is an important part of the mix. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART.
listening to Invest Talk. What a difference a year makes. A pandemic, financial shutdown, and market volatility. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hey guys, I'm looking to buy a house in the next six to nine months, so I'm trying to decide where to keep my down payment money. I have about $16,000, so I was wondering, should I keep it in savings or is an ETF a good idea? I look forward to hearing your advice. Thanks. Bye-bye. It's easy answer. Savings. Six to nine months, that's short term, very short term uh, in the investment world, and you don't want to risk it. And I know it is no fun earning half a percent, quarter percent on that money. But the bottom line is you have that money earmarked for a home. You don't want it. You don't want it subject, subject to the whims of the market. Now an ETF can mean a lot of different things. There are very, there are relatively safe ETFs that have very minimal volatility and you can earn a little bit better yield, right? One and a half percent, maybe 2% with some level of risk, but still low level of risk. And I know it can be tempting to do that, but guess what? What's that extra 1% going to get you over the next six to nine months on $16,000? 1% on 16,000 is 160 bucks over six months. That's 80 bucks. Not worth it. Not worth it to potentially, even though it's a low likelihood, potentially impair your ability to buy a home if that's your ultimate goal and you said you have the money to put down. So certainly keep it in a safe FDA insured, terribly low interest account, unfortunately, but that's just the way the world is right now. Now, my focus point today concerns the story, what is driving historical demand for the life science REITs? We're going to touch on the fact that venture capital investment in the life science sector grew to a record annual rate. We're going to walk through that topic. In addition, we're going to maybe go back to this last caller and touch on the low interest rate world we're in what it means to get better yields in today's world, and what should we expect going forward? What is the best risk versus reward in the market, most likely? And what policies will the Fed employ in order to keep the economy going for the foreseeable, foreseeable future? And once again, not just the Fed, but governments in general. Also, SPACs, SPACs, Special Acquisition, Special Purpose Acquisition Corporations. These are a new, a new name on an old vehicle. What do they actually mean? They're really blank check companies is what they are. What they are, it's what they used to be called. Now they're just called SPACs. What are the pros and cons? And is this just a fad? We're going to touch on that. And then lastly, how will the election impact the best interest policy that is surrounding this entire industry? And I think that will be interesting to follow as well if we have time. 
And let's see if I can squeeze one more caller question in here from 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. Great show. Just checking in on Pfizer. P as in Paul, F as in Frank, E as in every. Anyway, I've had it for a long time, and I was thinking about selling it, but I don't know. Just sitting on the dividend. Just like to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Bye. Largest branded prescription drug companies in the world, $204 billion market cap. And this is a company that has not been growing basically at all for the last, call it decade. This year is supposed to make $2.72 a share. Last year made $2.95 a share. 2013, they made $2.22 a share. So extremely, extremely low growth over the past seven, eight years or so. Last five quarters, pre-COVID, revenue had been shrinking, and it's shrinking at a faster clip. Five quarters ago, revenue was down 2% year-over-year. This last quarter, down 11% year-over-year. Earnings down 3% last quarter. 4.1% dividend yield, which you know is, is solid, certainly not a red flag. Its payout ratio is around 60%, also not a red flag. Has a decent amount of debt, but not nearly enough to worry me from a, a balance sheet perspective. I think they have a pretty solid balance sheet. $3 billion in quarterly cash flow last quarter. Pretty solid on a $200 billion company. So that's pretty good. It's at a decent value. Enterprise value is 10 but it's also a low growth, right? Low growth means low multiples. And so that's not super cheap. I would say it's moderately cheap. This is a, a coupon clipper with a little bit of risk to the downside of major legislation that might cut drug pricing, uh, patent cliffs. I'd have to look into that. I don't know Pfizer's patent cliff schedule right off the top of my head. I would have to dig into that, but I would certainly do a little research there. Uh, but there's also the upside, right, of them investing in a good biotech that might hit a blockbuster. So there's both sides that could keep the company sliding into negative growth or turn it around into positive growth, and then you get multiple expansions. So, you know, I, I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's a decent value. You listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, 888 chart This is Invest Talk. Are you doing everything possible to make sure that your investments are performing as well as they should be? Well, there's a treasure trove of wealth building information freely accessible right now at investtalk.com. You'll find investment strategies and unbiased guidance. The phone lines are open, Justin's here, and he's ready for your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Rose in Atlanta. She wants to talk about bank stocks. I don't think so. I'm not a big fan of the bank stocks, uh, mainly because interest rates are likely to stay low. And the, the defaults... The credit risk in a lot of them 
uh, is relatively high. Right? Oh, banks, so banks, banks really like a steep yield curve. They like high interest rates, right? Because they make that spread. They borrow short, they lend long. But if the Fed and, and central planners are going to continue to push rates down, keep rates down because the economy needs low rates, it's addicted to low rates, right? Addicted to low mortgage rates, for example, they, they need to keep uh, rates down. Now, there certainly are some potential catalysts for banks to, to rally, but I'm not seeing them quite yet. And frankly, those catalysts would... I mean, a lot of other sectors would be probably more attractive, industrials, for example. So I like some parts of the finance sector, but banks aren't one of them. I'm a bigger fan of the, of the insurance companies over the, the bank stocks. I think they have better ways to drive more profits, like increasing premiums, for example. So... Uh, I'm not a fan of the bank stocks, at least not yet. Let's go to James in Omaha looking at Adobe. Oh, it looks like James is gone. All right, I'll cover Adobe just because we know that he wanted to hear about it. So hopefully he'll catch it on the podcast. Now, Adobe, this is one of the largest tech companies out there, at least growing cloud software names. They design. They make software for design, designing, imaging, publishing, print, web, mobile, etc. Been growing dramatically on the back of turning themselves from selling software suites to. So Adobe is pretty expensive at these levels, growing about fourteen percent year over year. But that's been slowing, and they've, they've transform their business into a recurring revenue stream. And that's a positive. Sorry, I was, try- I was, I was hearing something in my ears, losing my train of thought here. Uh, so Adobe is very expensive, though, at these levels. And that's why I'm not a fan of Adobe. Our value is closer to about $350 a share. Now it's at $510. $510. So I think it's expensive at these levels. And I would... Keep it on my watch list, but wait for better valuations. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 889924. Oh, we're going to go back to James, I guess. Are we going back to James? Did you have a specific question about Adobe? Uh, can you hear me, sir? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you kind of answered it. it. It sounds like to me you think it's priced a little too high right now from that three three fifty mark, give or take. Yeah, I mean it's part it's part of the whole cloud software space, and so it's been uh, bid up, and, and it's a little over over owned. Uh, its valuation at this point, to me, is just simply uh, too extreme, especially for its growth level. Uh, you would think that its profits would be accelerating in the midst of the pandemic, and they've actually been slowing. Right, three quarters ago, before COVID, revenue was up nineteen percent. Earnings up 33%, and this last quarter, revenue up 14%, earnings up 25%. So to me, you should be seeing a multiple contraction with that slowing in growth, and you're seeing that in, in the earning estimates as well. Re- earnings grow up, growth up 26% estimated this year, only 12% next year. So I don't like that. I like the fact that they have a very strong balance sheet. 
Uh, but you're looking at enterprise value to EBITDA of 50, five, zero. This needs to be in the 30s at minimum for me to get interested in Adobe at the valuations. But I, I like the company. It's on my watch list. It just needs to be a lot cheaper than it is today for me to get excited about it from a long-term valuation perspective. Okay. What was that? I, I was just going to ask, is there any of the big fang stocks that you like, or do you think they're all just on that overvalued bubble? And I'll listen off the air, sir. Thank you for taking the call today. No problem. Uh, well, Adobe wouldn't be one of the fang stocks, but I, I do think there are a, a couple that, that I like. There's actually one. Uh, you probably could guess what it is. They have a lot of cash, and they all have a lot of cash, but they have the most cash, let's say that. Uh, it's hard for me to recommend. I can't recommend a specific company uh, of the FANG names uh, just because, because of SEC regulation, but you can figure it out. Now, the next invest stock, the big question that everyone faces, how much retirement money should you have saved by the age of 60? Steve will get to that story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models 
and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So I get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about 25 minutes, so I urge you to get your call in sooner rather than later. Now, our focus point today involves the biotech sector and more specifically the real estate sector in relation to the biotech sector. And, you know, rents are rising fast for lab space and vacancies are at record lows and employment in the space is going up and, you know, new developments in the biotech space are expanding fast. And a lot of this has to do with strong venture capital investment. In fact, venture capital investment in the sector grew to a rolling annual total of $17.8 billion in the second quarter. And that's the largest amount on record as well. Now, it's currently about 13.9 million square feet of space under construction in uh, for the biotech sector. But demand is running at about 14.7 million. And that's why the vacancy rate is at a historical low of less than 8% in most of the top sector, uh, areas of the country. Now, there's a few things driving these trends. One, it's only the pandemic. Right, more demand for R&D, for development of new drugs. And the second are megatrends. Demographics, for example, importance of personalized medicine. And then lastly, funding from things like the National Institute of Health, right? government funding. And I think this is what you're likely going to see in the future talked about this uh, and I study these long-term trends and governments people they're very reactive if you look at history right post World War II you had the Cold War reacting to Russia and what did we spend a lot of money on building nuclear weapons right building up our military even though we didn't really go to any large-scale wars after that. We didn't use our nuclear weapons. We need all those. No, it was just simply reactive to the situation, to the crisis at hand. 
And so when you combine these, these longer-term megatrends that have already been in place for a while, due to our demographics, due to personal preferences, personal needs, and then you add that on top of a pandemic where the demand for a vaccine, the demand for therapeutics is very high, and a government that is just willing to spend right there the government is viewing this as a crisis just like world war ii was a crisis and so they threw all fiscal discipline out the window because in their minds it's a crisis and that's likely or that is what you're seeing right now and so if you're looking at the REIT space and this is one of the problems a lot of investors have is they look at an asset class, or in this case, kind of a sector, kind of a hybrid sector asset class, and lump it all together and think it's all the same. All REITs are the same. Well, guess what? They're not. There's apartment REITs, there are normal office REITs, industrial REITs, retail REITs, and they all have different dynamics, supply-demand dynamics, both in the near term because of COVID, because of the shutdown, because of the economy, and also longer term because of government spending and secular trends. Now let's grab another caller question from the Invest Talk Voice Bank at 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. This is Kirk from Maryland. I've got an investment strategy question. I'm getting close to retirement, and I was planning on supplementing Social Security with dividends. And the question is, during the market downturn, do dividends stay fairly steady, at least for blue-chip companies as compared to share prices, or should I expect some fluctuation in the uh, dividend stream that I'm hoping to get? I'll listen for your answer on the uh, podcast. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, first, it depends on what is triggering a market downturn. Is it simply maybe interest rates rising and multiples contracting? Or is it an economic downturn where a lot of companies are suffering? Those are two very different things. In a multiple contraction, dividends will probably stay the same. In an economic contraction, many companies will cut or eliminate their dividend. You saw that in the second and third quarter of this year. And some of that's coming back. And some will come back next year. And then you have to look at, are you investing in, say, a dividend ETF, where it's broadly diversified? Where, yes, there may be some dividend cuts here and there. But overall, it won't drop too much. Or are you talking about individual companies? And then you go into their balance sheet. How strong is their balance sheet? How cyclical is their business? Once again, in an economic downturn, the more cyclical the business, the more levered their balance sheet is, the higher likelihood they will cut their dividend. So not all blue chip companies are the same. Because not all blue chip companies have the same business model, the same economic sensitivity to their business. 
or the same balance sheet strength. So it's hard to lump them all together. So I hope that gave you a little context to make your decision. Thanks for the call. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, and you are not alone. Our podcast download statistics show that for the month of September, we achieved nearly 900,000 downloads. So, Stephen, I thank you for downloading Invest Talk and also for telling your family and friends about our free investing in finance podcast. And remember, our website, investtalk.com, has a number of great resources available to assist you with your goal of building a solid financial future and achieving your particular version of financial freedom. If you're unsure where to start, I suggest you take our Riskalyze risk questionnaire. It will help you define your investment comfort zone. And of course, you are welcome to call our KPP financial office in Irvine, California. We would love to help you out. Our phone lines are open, so give us a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Good news. Steve and Justin have recorded another Rapid Fire Hour podcast. They take caller questions at a faster pace, but you still get their unbiased answers. In this special bonus show podcast, you'll hear responses to 34 finance and investment questions. The theme of the program concerns market processes, best practices for investors, and explanations of various terms and investment opportunities. So tell your friends, search Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or investtalk.com for the free August Rapid Fire Hour. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. Hi guys, Chris from Philadelphia calling. Thanks for all that you do. Calling for Disney. Just wondering what you guys think of the company as a whole, as well as what would be an ideal price to get in it for or at. All right, thank you guys. All right, I was looking at Walt Disney Corporation, and certainly this has been hit by a lot of aspects of, of COVID and the shutdowns and social distancing. It's very hard to have a theme park open when you are trying to achieve social distancing. In addition, it's hard to have sporting events, and all those have been coming back you see ratings are down why for various reasons a lot of people are blaming it on political reasons i think it has more to do with cannibalization of other sports right when you know you shut down sports for a long time now you have basketball football baseball all hopping at the same time you know there's only so much attention span so much time of the day you can't watch two sports at once so that's a, a big issue now, longer term, I think that will be worked out. Uh, but next year, they're only supposed to make $2.59 a share. In 2018, they made $7.08 a share. So still dramatically depressed. And even last year, they made $5.77 a, sh- a share. And that's down you know, year over year from 2018. Now, a lot of this has to do with Cable cutting, right? ESPN is a very big part of their business. ESPN will stay around. It'll still be very important, very big. But it's kind of in secular decline. And they need to change their business model. And they've been doing that, right? They launched Disney+. Plus. Uh, you, I think you can s- subscribe to ESPN+. 
Plus and, and watch that over uh, the internet as well. So th they're working on it. They're, they're pretty well run. The problem is, is that I think it's going to be many years before they can get back to normal in all their business. Excuse me, in all their businesses. So our value, our, our, our entry point on this is below $100 a share. And that's at $125. So uh, I would keep it on my watch list, but I don't love the technical chart. I don't love the valuation here with so many years before I think they get back to those 2000, even 19 levels, which are down from 2018 levels. So uh, I'm keeping it on my watch list, but not unless it's below $100 a share. Thanks for the call. 888 chart, 888 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's touch on, let's see, oh, low yields. This is something we discussed a little earlier with uh, that caller. And I know so many people are scratching their heads. And what do I do? What do I do with the money that's in my bank account? Right, $100,000 based on the average yield on a savings account is only going to earn you about $220 in interest a year. Very, very little. You're talking less than 20 bucks a month. Now, JP Morgan estimates that's about $1,500 a year less than you would need to outpace inflation. So the average interest on a savings account, according to depositaccounts.com, is about 16, point, sorry, 16 basis points, 0.16%. Average one-year CD is 0.46%. So less than half percent on anything that's kind of short-term. Now, investors pulled about $238 billion out of their short-term savings accounts over the last year. And they're certainly searching for some type of yield. Now, you could buy utility stocks, bank stocks, other financial companies, real estate investment trusts, massive limited partnerships. All of those, or many of them, yield 3 4 5% or more. Problem is, over the first nine months, utilities were down 6%, real estate was down 7%, financials were down 20%, master and limited partnerships were down 49%, and that's after including dividends. On top of that, interest rate volatility is at its all-time low. Now, what does that mean? Is that the Fed is assuring that we're going to have near zero interest rates for years. You saw that back in September of last year with the repo madness when rates went up, rates were spiking. Well, they stepped in and they tamed the market because they know they can't let rates get out of control. And this is very similar to the 1940s and 50s when we also had massive deficits. And what did they do? Well, they kept rates very low. Yield curve control what they did last, last time. They're doing that again in a de facto way, not in an explicit way, not as a, an announced policy, but kind of behind the scenes. Right? If things get out of control, they step in, they, they up their stimulus, their, their, their policy response. So we're going to live in a one, if not sub 1% world for, I think, a long time. So what that means is they're going to keep real rates negative. And that means 
your cash is going to lose purchasing power if you are earning half a percent, one percent. They're going to assure that. They're going to do their best to inflate their way out of the deficit. Once again, this is not me saying this is the policy they should implement. It's the policy they've told us they're going to implement. Maybe not explicitly, but that certainly seems like their strategy because that's the playbook that they've executed before. You think they're going to allow a deflationary spiral? No. They've already shown that. They're going to step in at every turn, print money, allow governments to spend, and that's just the way it is. And so you're going to have to take some risk if you want to earn some level of yield to stay above that inflation rate. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Justin calling from Chicagoland. Uh, so, I have a quick question about 401ks. Uh, with the market being where it is and um, World War III being in jeopardy, just a quick question on how to move your 401k during times such as so. If we're worried about that to an extent where we may move our money out of the U.S. market, is it wise, smart, or doable to move it to something such as the Chinese market, um, the European market? How would you suggest handling a 401k during you know torment times? Appreciate the answer. I uh, look forward to hearing it on the show. Thank you. Well, first, that depends on what your investment options are. Unfortunately, most 401k plans are very limited to 10, 12, 20 funds, and many of those are simply targeted funds. Fortunately, that's the way the world's gone. In addition, a lot of those are simply index funds. And so you're crowding into the same trade as everybody else. So that's tough. Now, some may be lucky and have the ability to put their 401k into a self-directed brokerage account where then they can go buy anything, ETF, CDs, bonds, individual companies, etc. That'd be ideal. Now, that's number one. Depends on your options. Number two is, sounds like you have a lot of political views, talking about World War III and, you know, maybe moving money to China and all these other things. And what you have to understand is America's not going away. I know it seems like we're in a tough position. It's a tough environment. But historically, these things happen. You go through tough times and, frankly, come out the other side in a better position. Tumultuous times make for 
policy decisions that are usually better for the long run. Right? There's less apathy about what's happening in the country or happening in the world. And so on the other end, I'm very optimistic after this next phase of, frankly, problems. And if you, once again, if you read the fourth turning, you'll know that this is the crisis period. This is when things change, but they change typically for the better. Just the way the world works. And so don't get too hung up on making dramatic changes. I want I like to look at the macro world more broadly, meaning what's happening in the economies, in the financial system. The political system will will react to the financial system, right? Say money makes the world go round. And so if you can understand where we are in the long-term debt cycle, in the interest rate cycle, in the inflation cycle, you will have a better chance of navigating the world. The political cycle is more headlines than anything. Certainly part of the picture, but it's not the only picture. So don't let your politics drive your decision-making. Because your politics are about what you want the world to be. It's not about that. It's about what the world is. And so, certainly moving some money into foreign markets, not a bad thing. Why? Not because of politics, but because, guess what? Probably the dollar is going to decline to some degree. Now, is it going to disintegrate? Like a lot of doomsdayers say, no. It's just where the cycle is. And so if the dollar is in a bear market, well, foreign stocks are going to do better. Commodities are going to do better. Right? So diversifying yourself is probably the best way to go if you're worried so that you're not having all your eggs in one particular asset class or one area of the global financial system. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on Thursday. CPs will be here tomorrow. In the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free. And they can check them out on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, as well as investtalk.com. Now, if you want to listen live, you can also hear the program each weekday via our real time streaming through investtalk.com as well. Just click on the Listen Live button, it is free. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer 
of Klein Pavlis Peaceley Financial.